0: I would invite you to turn in your copies of God's Word to Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5. As we look at one of the kind of touchstone passages in the Bible about marriage. Uh, We're going to be starting in verse 22. Ephesians chapter 5 verse 22. And I need to go ahead and just give you a trigger warning. Uh, What the Bible says in Ephesians 5 verses 22 and following about marriage is not not the message that our culture is going to tell us about marriages. So hear me, I'm not apologizing for what the Bible says, but I think it is helpful to to give some explanation of why what the Bible says makes sense in the economy of God. And so that's going to be what I'm going to be trying to do today. Uh, There are going to be some parts of this that might kind of grate against you that might seem a little off-putting, but if you can just kind of uh, table those concerns, we'll come back to them and, and try to talk a little bit about what Uh, God, through Paul, is saying in Ephesians 5, verse 22. But I need to back out even a little more from that and just try to give you a little bit of a vision of what we're doing in this series on marriage and relationships. We're talking about myths. The first myth that we talked about last week was that it's possible or good to have what we call a designer marriage. And we said a designer marriage is just a marriage that is about us and that is for us and that is on our terms. We try to push back against that idea, that idea that the world gives us, that the culture gives us by saying that from way back in the beginning in Genesis 1 and 2, God designed humans for a very specific purpose and as a result, he created our marriage and our relationships for a purpose. And that purpose is for Him. So whether or not you're married today, what was a little bit fuzzy maybe last week comes a little bit uh, clearer in focus today because we see that there's a picture that marriage is. We said last week marriage is a picture of who God is. That we, as image bearers of God, get to bear His image on His creation, the, the world. And that together, when we come together, we bear His image in marriage. What we're saying today is what Paul says in Ephesians chapter 5, that marriage is another picture. It's a picture that God has given us of the relationship that Christ has with His church. You see what that means? That means that our marriages are to be a picture of the gospel. Our marriages in one way, in one very real way, are how we as husband and wife preach the gospel. This is a high and holy calling. Of course we're going to do it imperfectly, but we need to look to the wisdom of Scripture so that we can understand how it is we're supposed to organize ourselves and our relationships. So if last week, sermon number one, we were really big picture, we were really talking about foundational things, and I would encourage you, if you didn't catch that one, to go back on our podcast or online, catch the video, because not because I think it's just some great specimen of a sermon, but because it's really foundational for everything else that we're going to be talking about today and for the next couple of weeks. So if sermon number one was really big picture that didn't get too practical, today is going to be still pretty big picture that gets more practical. Next week is going to be very, very practical. In the trenches, nuts and bolts, how do we as husband and wife love one another, and get along with one another from Colossians. And then number four is going to be even more explicitly practical from 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Last week we kind of dipped our ankles into the idea that our marriage is not about us, and today in Ephesians 5 we're going to see why it is that way. I also want to give you another little commercial here, uh, there are in the back, in the back of the church, uh, right in front of the uh, sound booth. There are some copies of this sermon. I made some extra copies. At the end of that, uh, is is a list of resources that I am using and that I am recommending to you. I've put a couple of them with little stars next to them and, and two of them are in bold because they're like my top recommendations. I'm just trying to equip us. If you have a struggle in a particular area, maybe in your marriage or maybe something just related to relationships, uh, you can see some uh, some resources that I think have helped me and have helped uh, Whitney and I and I think would also help you. So I would encourage you to do that. I emailed that document out last night, but you can grab a hard copy today at church uh, if you'd like to. Um, So why don't we begin with this statement. Picturing forth God's nature in marriage takes work. Here's why I say this. I'm afraid that our culture and and the Hallmark Christmas movies, that I I really kind of drag those a lot from the pulpit. I understand that, but I also watch them at Christmas. Um, But if we get our notions of what marriage is supposed to be like from these very, I don't know, tiptoeing through the tulip's vision of what relationships are supposed to be like, we might have this image in our mind that love is just supposed to be effortless. And sometimes it is, but most often it takes work because what we are doing in marriage is not simply trying to fulfill ourselves. We're trying to show the onlooking world a picture of God and his relationship to his church. And so as a result, that takes work. As a result, the marriage calling, the calling to biblical Christian marriage is a call to do something a little more difficult than what the world says marriage is. And so when, when folks come and they, they ask me to do their wedding ceremony, what I tell them is, is this, I don't do wedding ceremonies I officiate Christian marriages. Do you see the difference between that? A wedding ceremony, uh, honestly, can, can, can be done by anyone, but, but a Christian marriage is something different. It's something higher, and it, and, it, and it is a sacred picture of something beyond ourselves. And we'll see that right here in Ephesians 5. Would you read with me in Ephesians 5, beginning in verse 22? See what God says to us today. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Therefore, and this is quoting Genesis 2 from last week, Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Would you pray with me? Father, as we turn to your Word today, we come to it expectantly. We expect it to do some work in our hearts. We expect it to sharpen and purify us. I pray that you would use the words of Scripture today to change us, to make our marriages stronger. For those who are not even yet in marriage but might be looking toward that, I pray uh, that they would begin well, that they would see what the Scriptures say a marriage is, it's more than just a legal arrangement. It is a picture that you have entrusted to us and you've said, carry this picture well. It is a picture of the gospel. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. So if we're building from last week, we remember last week that, that we concluded from Genesis 1 and 2 that our marriages are not about us. They haven't been given to us to fulfill our own felt needs. Marriage does provide security, it provides happiness, love, but these things come most fully when they come downstream from this better and greater understanding of what marriage is. It's a picture of God's nature. It's a picture of His image. And today we see that it's a a picture of Christ and the church. Let me be just very gut-level honest. That first verse that we began with here, it I mean, honestly, it seems almost shocking in our age uh, because of what it says. And some of that is because we misunderstand what it means. Some of it is because our culture has trained us away from what the Bible considers as normal. It says, "Wives." Submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. And then in verse 25, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. You know what I thought was funny about the part about the husbands? He repeats what he has to say to husbands like four or five times. <laughs> I don't think that's accidental. I think it usually takes four or five times for us to get it through our thick skulls. What I want to show you here, what I think the Bible shows us, is that for wives and for husbands, the Bible is calling us both to something that is unnatural. For the wives, it says, follow your husband. Why would it say that? For the husbands, it says, love your wife so much that your love looks like you dying to yourself. That doesn't come natural to men. The reason that the Bible is telling us wives and husbands something that to both of us seems unnatural is because what God has given us in marriage is not a means for us fulfilling ourselves. What God has given us in marriage is a picture that we are supposed to show to the world of what Christ is like. And each way, God has given to the wife a way to do that that he's not given to the husband. And God has given to the husband a way to do that that he's not given to the wife. So if we can see past some of our initial off-putting, I don't don't know, being a little off-put by what the Bible has to say here, we see that God is telling the world a story about himself through marriage. Here's what he's saying. He's saying to the wife, follow your husband so that when the world sees your marriage, the world is able to see through your marriage to how the church follows Christ. He's saying to the husbands, Love your wife so sacrificially. Love your wife so well that it looks like you have died to yourself, that her concerns are more important than yours. So that when the world looks at your marriage, the world is able to look through your marriage almost like a telescope. And on the other end of that telescope, they're able to see a picture of how Christ loves his church. Do you see how beautiful this picture is there's a part of this picture that only the wife can show there's a part of this picture that only the husband can show I want to give you a little illustration here about Machu Picchu. I've, I've been to Machu Picchu. I hope that next year if we're able to take a trip to Peru as long as we're already uh, in the neighborhood, uh, we might just kind of skip on over to Machu Picchu. It's one of the wonders of the world, so you, you'll want to go and see that if you're able to go on that trip with us, if we're able to organize all that. One of the things about Machu Picchu is that there is no picture that can do it justice. I looked on the Internet, and that was a little grainy. I, looked, I searched the Internet over and over for a picture that actually captures just how stark the undulation of the mountains is. I mean, people die there every year accidentally by trying to do some kind of something foolish with their camera, and they just end up 2,000 feet below at the bottom of the hill in a little Aguas Calientes, little village there before you go up the mountain. There is no picture that can quite do justice to what it's like to be there. And, and as I reflected on mine and Whitney's trip there back in 2015, I was looking at our pictures and even our pictures that we took, me trying to capture the grandeur and the glory of what it was, it just didn't do it. It's like, that's just not, that's just not it. You just, you just have to go. You just have to go and see it for yourself. The gospel, Christ's relationship to the church is like going there. It's like being there at Machu Picchu, able to experience it. What our marriages are supposed to be is like the picture where we show people and we say, you got to go. You've got to go experience it for yourself. Marriage is a picture of how Christ loves his church, and when we get that in our minds, wives are willing to follow their husbands, not follow them into sin, not following them because because the Bible somehow teaches that men are more competent. We know that's not true. But follow them because what we've been entrusted with is a picture. And then and then husbands, when they get this picture in their hearts, when we men, when we get this picture in our hearts, we're willing to wake up at two in the morning when the baby is crying and to love our wives. We're willing to get off of the recliner every once in a while or out of the deer blind and, and serve our wives because this picture... This picture of Christian marriage is so starkly different from what the world has to offer that when people see a genuine picture of it, they can be attracted to the cross. Do you see that? Do you see that beauty that we have been given in this picture? I want to read to you a quote from Martin Lloyd-Jones about this. How does this doctrinal truth that I've been taught, how does it touch down in our lives? Well... I'll read from Lloyd-Jones, the physician in England, the doctor who became a pastor. If a husband and wife are together considering him, you need have no worry about their relationship to each other. Our human relationships and affections and loves are cemented by our common love to Christ. It is both our living to Him and His glory and His praise if both, husband and wife, have got uppermost in their minds the analogy, the picture of Christ and the church and what He has done for the church that she might be redeemed and that they as individuals might become the children of God. If they are overwhelmed by that thought and governed by it, there will be no danger of their personal relationship meeting with disaster. Because our marriages are not about us. Our marriages are for and about Christ. Let me encourage you. Do not enter into a marriage on any other foundation than this one. Because it's a lot harder to repair later than it is to begin from the beginning. That's not to say there's no hope. Of course God can redeem goodness. But I have in my mind those who might be considering marriage, those who might be young, our youth. Enter well. Enter well knowing what it is you have been given, a picture of the gospel. <clears throat> Our second point is this, covenant love requires us to deny ourselves. The first point, I don't think I mentioned, um, that's classic Greg, I'm terrible about doing that. The first point is covenant love is a picture of Christ in the church. I hope I made the point, I, d- I just didn't say it. Number two, covenant love requires us to deny ourselves. This is where we, 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 we circle back and we look at what God has called the wife to do and the husband to do. Here's the problem. The word submit or the word follow, it has these overtones in our head of this really meek, passive wife who just does whatever her domineering, really kind of ugly husband says. That's not the picture That the Bible is trying to give. The Bible is not saying, wives, follow your husband into sin. It is not saying, wives, if your husband is abusing you, just, just lay down and take it. It's not what the Bible is saying. It's not saying that men are more competent than women. It's not saying that the Bible is just reinforcing the patriarchy. That this is just an outdated holdover teaching from a time when the world was different. This teaching was actually revolutionary in the first century. Let me show you why. The, the biblical teaching on marriage is always going to be un, is always going to feel unnatural to us, no matter what age we live in. Let me explain it to you. Today we live in this very liberated, egalitarian world where the the. Where, where some of this teaching grates against us. Even back then, the, the reality was that the home was so dominated by men that the man of the house, the, the paterfamilias, was the only person who had any rights or any responsibilities. And the gospel upset that order of things. Because look what the Bible does here. The Bible addresses wives and husbands as equals. And says, both of you have responsibilities. In first century Greece, if the government wanted to come around and tell a household to do something, they just would have gone to the man of the house and said, you're responsible. Here it is for you. This is what your household needs to do. What God does is he comes to wives and husbands and says, you are equal in worth. You both have responsibilities. Yes, you have different roles. But you are equal in worth. And so God addresses wives as if they have agency. As if they have responsibility in the family. As if they have the ability to obey God. And He addresses husbands the same way. For the wife, perhaps following your husband is not easy. Perhaps it does not come natural. Perhaps you do not feel that he has earned your following. For the husband, sacrificial love doesn't come naturally to us, either. Let me show you something that's a little sneaky in here. While it's true, and you tell me who gets the better end of this deal, while it's true that Paul calls he calls wives that God calls wives to follow the leadership of their husbands. He calls the husbands, in the very next breath, he calls husbands to die. He says, men, love your wives the way that Christ loved the church. Oh, and how did Christ show his love for the church? By dying a painful death. So yes, wives are instructed to follow. Men are instructed to die. Fellas, I don't, I don't mean to give you advice as someone who is above you. I just come alongside you as your brother in Christ, as your equal. Many times, our love for our wives does not look like Christ's love for the church. And we need to change that. I'll also say this. Many times, men, our leadership in our home has proven not really worth following. And I will say that many wives are the spiritual leaders in their homes because we have abandoned our responsibility. In many homes, it would be more natural for the mom to crack open her Bible with the kids than for dad to because that's not a very masculine thing to do. The Bible says that true biblical manhood is being willing to lead your family Well, to see Christ as glorious. So men, let me just give you an encouragement. As awkward as it may feel, it may not be in your comfort zone. It may not be your spiritual gift. Men, we gotta be sitting down at the the dinner table, opening up our Bibles and reading to our families. We have to be nourishing our wives We have to be providing them with a love that looks so much like death. We are willing to die to our own desires so that our wives may be loved as Christ loved His church. This is where we get back to the title of the sermon. The title of the sermon is that myth number two is that love is a feeling. I think if our culture, if our world has any kind of view of love, we think of it as a feeling. Romantic love, right? And romantic love is great, and God gives it to us as a gift, but what is better than romantic love is covenant love. If God has said in Ephesians 5 that our love for one another should be like Christ loves the church, let me ask you a question. Does Christ ever give up on his church? No. There is a kind of covenant there that Jesus is in this relationship not for what he can get out of it. And so we should also be in our marriages not for what we can get out of it, but for what we can picture forth through the image, through the picture of the gospel that he's given us. Let me talk about the difference between romantic love and covenant love. See, see Ephesians 5 gives us a picture of what marriage ought to look like that romantic love alone can't, it can't float that boat. It can't sustain that. Romantic love by itself burns out when it comes to Ephesians 5. Romantic love is based wholly on the emotional. Covenant love is based on something eternal. Romantic love is a little bit superstitious, right? We, we talk about finding a soulmate, or we say things like, you complete me, right, Tom Cruise? Or like, I have fallen in love. Like did you did you trip? You know. <laughs> Covenant love is connected to the cross. Romantic love is unreliable, fickle, shifting. Covenant love is steadfast, steady, committed. Let me read to you from, from a book. I've, I've got a picture of this book. I, I would encourage you to it if you're looking toward marriage, uh, if, if maybe marriage is on the horizon for you. It's called Outdated. Uh, it's by a guy named Jonathan Pakluda. And he's talking about this, this lie that our culture has believed about love. I, I want to read a couple lines for you. The prevailing wisdom of the world is that love is a feeling and that dating and marriage are based on these feelings. It's all about the feels, all the feels. Along with that definition comes the idea that these feelings are out of control. We talk about falling in love, which sounds a bit like tripping and falling into a hole. It's a passive action, you fall by accident, it just happens to you, and the results of falling down are never all that great. Or you can fall head over heels, which sounds even worse. It suggests that you're tumbling out of control in a way that's sure to leave you bruised and bleeding. Another popular metaphor, especially within music lyrics, is that love is a drug. It's a feeling that gives you a high, a temporary high that leaves you feeling low afterwards until you can get your next, still temporary, fix. The problem with defining love as a feeling... Which is the root cause of thinking your love is out of control or a drug or roller coaster or drama, is that feelings are not reliable. Feelings change almost by definition. If they didn't change, they wouldn't be feelings, they would just be who you are. If your relationship is based solely on feelings, it's guaranteed not to last. It's true that love is a feeling. That is one definition of the word. It's a noun because a a feeling is a thing. It's a thing you experience. It's something that happens to you. But however, there's another definition of love listed right alongside it in the dictionary. And that is that love is a verb. It's an action. It's something you do, not something that happens to you. You can actively care for someone. You can actively cherish them as valuable and you can look to their best interest. That's a hugely important difference because an action is something you control. You can't always choose how you feel, but you can always choose how you act. You can't guarantee that you'll feel a certain way about someone every day for the rest of your life. In fact, it would be fairer to say that it's guaranteed that you won't feel the exact same way about them. There are times, he's talking about himself, there are times that I still get butterflies in my stomach when I see my wife. And days when I still feel the same excitement I did on the first date or when we were first married. But there are many other times when I don't have those same feelings. Honestly, because I don't have strong feelings for her at all sometimes. But that's okay. That's not a crisis in our marriage because even if I don't feel in love with her, I can still actively love her in the things that I say and do. I can serve her selflessly, speak to her kindly, and pursue her faithfully. Those things are choices that are always fully in my control And that's why I can know that I will always love Monica, my wife, regardless of how I feel, until death do us part. Covenant love pictures forth the gospel. Covenant love says feelings are not God, which is the religion of our day to day. Covenant love enables a type A wife to see value in following her husband and it enables a passive or entitled husband to wash the dishes or get up at 2 a.m. when the baby cries and and take a turn. What the world needs to see from our churches is that we believe deeply in covenant love. I want to leave you I don't want to read too much. I don't know. They they, they probably say that's not a good thing. But I want to read you with a story, and I think this is meaningful enough for you to appreciate it. A man named Robertson McQuilkin. He was a successful and beloved president of Columbia International University, a Christian college in South Carolina, and a Bible school there, a seminary now. When his wife was diagnosed with Alzheimer's, at the peak of his career. He made a decision that romantic love could never have made. He made a decision that only covenant love could make. I want to read to you from his book. This book is called A Promise Kept. The board of the college arranged for a companion to stay in our home so that I could go daily to my office. During those two years, it became increasingly difficult to keep Muriel at home. As soon as I left, she would take out after me. With me, she was content. Without me, she was distressed. Sometimes, terror-stricken. The walk to school is a mile round trip. She would make that trip as many as 10 times a day. Sometimes at night when I helped her undress, I found bloody feet. When I told our family doctor, he choked up. Such love, he said simply. And then after a moment... He said, I have a theory that the, characteristic de- the characteristics developed across the years come out at times like these. I wish I loved God like that, desperate to be near Him at all times. Thus, she teaches me day by day. When the time came, the decision was firm. It took no great calculation. It was a matter of integrity. Had I not promised 42 years before in sickness and in health till death do us part? This was no grim duty to which I stoically resigned, however. It was only fair. She had, after all, cared for me for almost four decades with marvelous devotion. Now it was my turn. And such a partner she was. If I had taken care of her for 40 years, I would never be out of her debt. Friends, this vision in Ephesians 5 may great against you, wife. It may great against you, husband. But the Christian vision of marriage offers something better. Better than the world's cheap imitation of romantic love alone. It offers a chance at a marriage that is attached to something more solid than feelings. And it offers a marriage with meaning. We are here to preach the gospel through our relationships. Let's ask God to give us the grace to do that. Let's pray.